Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas Bank here. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, Trump spins trouble for SoulCycle and what comes after Gen Z. But first, corporate America's shooting range. So we are now five days out from the incomprehensible and infuriating massacres in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio, in which 31 innocent people were gunned down. In El Paso, it was by a white supremacist who allegedly wanted to kill Mexicans. In Dayton, well, we still don't yet have a motive. In both cases, though, we know the weapons used. We know they were purchased legally, which of course begs the question, why is it legal to purchase such weapons of war? The reality of guns is that there is no political will in Washington, D.C. to make any major moves, even mandating universal background checks, which seems so minimal in common sense, remain stalled. So the big question now is if corporate America decides to put its finger on the scales, as it has in several other socio-political issues. Remember, it's not the government that makes guns or ammo or transports them or finances them or sells them. It's private companies. If they believe that gun violence represents a national health emergency, they, the companies, can be the preventative care, no matter whether or not Congress ever acts. Stores choose what to sell and not sell all the time. Banks make the same decisions on loans. Shippers make the same decisions on what's in their trucks. If these companies feel the issue is important enough, they could act. Now, to be clear, I am not saying it's their obligation, but I am saying it's their opportunity. If they don't take it, then they have no one to blame but themselves. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios reporter Erica Pandy. But first, this. With Silicon Valley Bank, you'll get a banking and financial services partner committed to seeing you through the ups, the downs, and the I'm way in over my head moments. There are also scalable solutions that fit each important stage of the startup journey. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. We're joined now by Axios reporter Erica Pandy. Andrew Ross Sorkin of the New York Times wrote a pretty provocative piece earlier this week, uh, basically saying that Walmart is the linchpin here because it's such a big partner to banks like Wells Fargo and JP Morgan and consumer electronics companies like Apple. From your perspective, is he right? If Walmart is the big domino and if it fell, it would put adequate pressure on others? I think he's absolutely right. I think it's not just about taking guns off the shelves and adding their own policies for their gun retail, as Walmart has done. It's about companies having to sort of throw their weight around and kind of, in their own way, lobby the companies who they work with to get behind them on this issue. And Walmart could be a huge leader here. But it doesn't seem like they are, right? Let's just be clear here. What does Walmart sell and not sell right now in terms of firearms and ammunition? So they took assault-style weapons off the shelves in 2015, and then after Parkland, they had a new policy where they don't sell any guns to you if you're under 21. But that's basically it. And they've said, even now, in the, after the most recent shootings, that they're not going to change their gun policies. If Walmart is that big domino that we talked about, they're kind of off the playing board, right? Because they're saying, not only are we not going to change our in-store policies, if, if we're not going to change our own policies for what we're selling, we're sure as hell not going to do all the backdoor work to pressure our partners. Yeah, they've basically come out and said, in not so many words, that we've kind of done everything that we're willing to do. From your perspective, is there another kind of replacement for Walmart? If this is your persuasion and, and you think a company should do this. I mean, is it something like a Wells Fargo, a JP Morgan, somebody who does a lot of kind of big and small commercial loans? 
Yeah, I think the banks are the are definitely the key here. In our story, we mentioned a couple, Bank of America and a few others, but I think JP Morgan would be a huge one. I mean, Amazon also comes to mind, though I'm not sure how many of these gut industry players they work with work for. But Jamie Dimon, who runs JP Morgan, hasn't been terribly strong when it comes to this. And, and part of the argument he's made, not just about this, but about other things in general, and other CEOs do too, is this isn't our job. Our job is to follow the laws, maybe to push to change the laws. But in terms of business, we do what the law says. Does that wash with you? I think it's a little bit of BS. I think they definitely have an ability to create change by, like I said, throwing their weight around. And I think the pressure from consumers is going to get higher and higher. But one company went to a Starbucks and they said in states with open carry, we ask that you don't bring your guns in here, but they didn't even go out and outright ban them. So companies are really, really trying to thread the needle here. And it's kind of would be better for them. They just fell down on one side or the other. I guess it's hard to quantify this. So this is really just a gut feel thing. But how much of this potentially, if companies were to potentially change their policy. How much of it is because of, as you say, customer pressure as opposed to internal pressure from employees on lots of other things? And I'm thinking particularly in Silicon Valley when it comes to social issues, it's really been the employees who have pushed the CEO and management to make changes, not necessarily what customers are saying about them on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of cases, employee pressure can be you know, stronger than consumer pressure because companies will think, well, there's consumers on this side, there's always going to be consumers on the other side. But something like Amazon and climate change, when you have 8,000 employees, urge the company in an open letter to do something, they came out with a plan to do something. You make an interesting point in a piece this morning you wrote with Courtney Brown, which talks about how, you know, when we think of the gun business, we often think of exactly two groups, right? The manufacturers, those who are making the firearms, and then the retailers, those who are selling them. But that there is this vast kind of middle, and, and this is what we were talking about with where Walmart theoretically could put pressure. There's the supply chain and there's the financing piece. Exactly. All kinds of companies get involved with the flow of money and the flow of guns that we don't even think about. Do you believe that there is any, you know, we're whatever we are, five days since, since these shootings and, you know, seven days since the shooting before that. Is there any particular reason to think that these will be any different? There was a bit of a push after uh, the Newtown massacre. There was another push after Parkland in terms of some companies, smaller companies making some changes. You cite Dick's Sporting Goods being one of them. Is there any tangible reason to think that what happened last weekend is going to spark corporate change? Or are we just going to be on a new topic by next week? Unfortunately, I don't think so. I think the one area where we will see, and we have seen a couple of moves, is the hate content online. You saw Cloudflare saying that they weren't going to host 8chan anymore, and then Amazon recently shut down a website that was doing a fundraise for Gab, I believe it was, which is another. Basically right-wing Twitter. I don't even mean right-wing. Hard, you know, fascist right-wing. Exactly. So so there we've seen a couple of moves. I think because of this racist manifesto, that could be a turning point for the hate content that is posted online. But in terms of selling guns and providing guns, I think it'll be on to the next thing in a few weeks. Is there any reason to believe any of these companies will put any of their lobbying weight behind this? So it's one thing to not want to do stuff with your partners. It's another thing. All these companies, Walmart, etc., have huge lobbying arms in D.C. where you're based. Is there any reason to think they're going to use any of that muscle on lawmakers? So basically, because if they're saying this isn't something we can do, well, Congress, you do it, and we're going to push you to do it? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the next big project for reporters to dig through these company filings and see if they're putting any money behind this already. You know, I'd bet that some of the, the tech companies with activist employees have put at least some money behind it. I think that's where we'll see it. If there's a lot of pressure internally for employees to let's do something, you might see a tech company put some dollars behind lobbying against guns. Access reporter Erica Pandey, who unfortunately, I have a feeling you and I are going to sadly have to have a very similar conversation sometime in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two, right after this. 
Have a great idea for a startup? Silicon Valley Bank wants to help you make it a reality. With more than 35 years of experience, they understand the challenges of the startup journey and have created banking and financial solutions to help founders every step of the way. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the social media furor over SoulCycle, following reports that the company's owner is hosting a top dollar fundraiser for President Trump in the Hamptons. In short, many SoulCyclers, including a lot of celebrities, don't believe Trump shares the company's values, particularly on LGBTQ issues. So here's the history. In 2005, a real estate billionaire named Stephen Ross, who also owns the Miami Dolphins, bought an upscale gym chain called Equinox. Later, Equinox bought SoulCycle. So that's why Ross is referred to as being SoulCycle's owner. He bought Equinox, Equinox bought SoulCycle, therefore Ross owns it. Here's the thing, Ross today doesn't actually have a majority stake anymore in Equinox. He's sold a bit over the years and has only one seat on the company's board. He has zero seats on the SoulCycle board. That's why SoulCycle, in distancing itself from Ross, called him a passive investor, although that hasn't seemed to satisfy the Twitter minions. The bottom line here, when you take on an investor, any investor, you sometimes take on more than just their money. And on the other side, for investors, your activities can have unintended consequences for your companies. And finally this morning, we now know what comes after millennials and Generation Z. It's called Generation Alpha, a demographic applying to anyone born in 2010 or after. So four quick characteristics here beyond their birth dates. First, very tech heavy, having been wired their entire lives. Second, the parents of Generation Alpha, most likely to be millennials. Third, life markers like marriage and having kids and retiring are expected to be delayed, much like in recent generations. And finally, Generation Alpha is expected to surpass its predecessor in formal education, making it the most formally educated generation in history. Plus, now when my eight-year-old acts up, I can tell her to stop being such an alpha. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national sneak some zucchini into your neighbor's porch day. Yeah, seriously, look it up. And we'll be back Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.